Philadelphia, 1918. Three friends, brave, confident Viola Trenmore, clever but shy Robert Drayton, and Viola's strong and hot-tempered brother Terry discover mysterious powder that transports them 200 years into the future. The Philadelphia of 2118 is no longer a bustling metropolis, but instead a completely isolated city recovering from an unknown disaster. Citizens are issued identification tags instead of having names, and society is split between a wealthy, powerful minority and a downtrodden lower class. The position of supreme authority is held by a woman, and once a year, she oversees competitions to the death to determine who rules alongside her. When Viola, Terry, and Robert are forced to take part in these strange and deadly games, it will take their combined wits for them to escape this strange world and return home. <laughs> if only that's what actually happened in the book. <laughs> Welcome to Treat Yourself, a book club podcast where each month we read a book and come together to discuss it. I'm Emma. And I'm Hannah. And today we will be discussing Francis Stevens' 1919 novel, The Heads of Cerberus. Yes, yes, So yes. we're going to start with our non-spoiler review. There's only two of us. I do feel like I should say <laughs> there's only two of us this time. So Hannah, what did you think of the book? Okay, uh, so I really, really enjoyed this book. Uh, in fact, it might be my favorite book that we've read so far uh, for this podcast. That's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. We've, we've managed to pick a lot of duds. But I think this one is my favorite. So there's this thing with older books where the guys are just so much more free in their expression of like love for their friends where, um, you know, always just, like, saying things like, my friend, and clasping each other on the shoulder, and, like, hugging, and I just find it really cute. <laughs> I just like friendship, and I love how, like, the guys express their friendship in these older books. I thought that the supernatural sci-fi part of it was really intriguing and well done. Yeah, I don't know, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. Emma, what about you? So... You know, I, w I was very excited for this book, mm. which was probably the problem. Okay, I can see that. I didn't hate it, but I'm not sure this description is entirely accurate, even though I just read it. It's not. So we'll get into that. So I was disappointed, like you said, with the friendship part. Like, it reminded me of you when I was reading of books that you like. Mm. Is good for the time. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say go out of the way to read it. Don't read it based on the description because that's not very accurate. But read it based on our review of it yeah. in the podcast. <laughs> I think that's all I have to say because I just, I don't have any definite feelings about it. It's definitely one of the better books we've read. Mm -hmm. That's not hard. But it wasn't a home run. Mm hmm whatever yeah I, I think for me just like adding on a little bit I've always been a very like character dialogue driven person when it comes to books so I don't necessarily need a, a super solid intricate plot uh, I'm happy if they're just like good characters and and fun things that they do and I think that's just what it comes back to for me is I just really enjoyed the characters and their interactions with each other and that just made me really love the book <laughs> Yes, but I was very disappointed that they do not participate in the Hunger Games. They don't! Oh my gosh! <laughs> I know that's a spoiler, but I feel like people should know. And I'm not really that sure that happen. the lady in charge is, like, supervising the games necessarily either. No. <laughs> the, well, okay, we, we will get, we'll we will get, get there. to it. Okay, so, so we got that out of the way. We are going to get into our spoiler-filled discussion from now on. Everything will be spoiler related, but please stay tuned. So, Hannah, chapter one did not open the way I expected for the uh, description I just read. I love the intro so, 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 so much. Uh, what I wrote down in my notes was this was a fun intro chapter because it was. I mean, you start off with this unconscious man. Yes. Waking up on a bed in in this place 
next to a safe that's open. Yes. Like a head wound. Um, yes. <laughs> he he goes to take care of his head wound. Yeah, he doesn't really seem to know where he is, or like he seems very disoriented. He's very concussed. <laughs> like, yes, he's very concussed. So yeah, so he goes to take care of his head wound, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, the safe," and he goes and he starts like pocketing the things from the safe. Yes, but then he sees something that horrifies him. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's panicking <laughs> so hard, and, and so he like throws everything out of his pocket. <laughs> And starts to run away. <laughs> so yeah, so this this thief, this thief wakes up and then tries to steal and then realizes, oh no, 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 time to run away. He tries to get out through like the ceiling, but that's like closed and blocked off again. Yes. Um, so then he's trying to like walk down the stairs, but then he hears footsteps. And so then he yeah, starts- the housekeeper. Yeah. <laughs> And then he goes to hide in this, like, supposedly empty bedroom. Surprise, it's not empty. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> so, no. My note was, would-be thief. Uh, but then something spooks him. <laughs> so, yeah, he runs away. He runs into this bedroom, and he's, like, listening at the door, I think. And mm-hmm. then a hand grabs his shoulder, and he turns around, and there's a man in a bathrobe. A giant <laughs> man in a bathrobe. Yeah, okay, so... You know I'm a very literal person, and it's, I believe it said the bathrobe was over his shoulders, and I'm like, does that mean the bathrobe is open, and he's just, like, dripping wet and naked? (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't put it past Trenmore. I feel like he would be willing to be seen like that in his own bedroom. That's the way I like to imagine the scene, is that this man who obviously just came from taking a bath just grabs him, and so then he's just... Our, our would-be thief is just, like, horrified. But guess what, Hannah? What am I? They're old friends! They're best friends! Oh my gosh, okay, wait, I want to take a second because when when they... In- you were focused on the bathrobe part. I was focused yes. on, like, the describing him as a giant because then instantly it just made me think of like Porthos from the Three Musketeers or like Andre the Giant like that's what yeah. I was picturing in my head anytime they describes describe Treadmore and his like strength and his size and it just makes me really think of just this really sweet giant which you see in Porthos and Andre the Giant yes so our dripping wet naked man is Terence Terry Trenmore, who he doesn't own the house they're living in. It's like his, it's his cousins. It's his cousins. But he's house. like a rich guy. Yeah, rich dude who just kind of like wanders around, goes from place to place. Um, he his voice was tender as only a woman's or an Irishman's can be. I wrote that exact <laughs> note down. <laughs> from then on, he is always referred to as like an Irishman, like oh, a sweet Irishman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just this sweet giant Irishman. But okay, so my my question was, I was wondering what Martin, the housekeeper, was thinking because, you know, he's like standing outside of the door like, do you need anything? What's going on? And Terry, like, Treadmore, once he realizes that it's his, his friend is like, oh, it's all good. Like, you can go. Get breakfast for us. Get breakfast for us. And I'm just like, what is this poor Martin thinking is going on in this bedroom right now? Yeah, so, so the the would-be thief is Robert Bob Drayton. It was really cute because as soon as Terry recognizes Bob, uh, he's all like, did you get my letter? Is this a surprise <laughs> yes. visit? He's so excited. He's not questioning why this man is in his bedroom. He's not questioning how this man suddenly appeared in his house or his cousin's house. He's just like, you're here. You're here to visit. Of course you would be here to visit. And I just love how happy he is to see his friend. Meanwhile, Bob is like having an anxiety attack. Yes. (laughs) He's like, I just tried to steal from my best friend. (laughs) And I need to explain that to him somehow. But really, Terry doesn't even 
like need an explanation but bob just straight out just reveals everything i mean he goes through the entire story and is so honest about everything about how he tried to you know he came in here and he's down on his luck and he came to steal and 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 that he wasn't the only thief yeah so he what is what what did he find in the safe that was he found something in the safe that he had given to Terry, which is how he knew. He he finds a cigarette case that he had given to Terry in the safe, and that's when he realized um, yeah. that he was about to steal from his friend. But yes, so Bob came in last night, tried to steal from Terry, but was knocked out by another thief who presumably didn't steal anything since everything in the safe was still on the ground. Bob just instantly says everything. <laughs> Like goes through the whole story, and Terry is so accepting, uh, and I feel like he says things like, "I mean, if you were having a hard time, like, of course I would help." <laughs> and and you know, Bob is all like, "I mean, we haven't seen each other for a couple years, and I wasn't sure how to get in contact with you because you move around so much." <laughs> also, how they met is super cute. I didn't write that down. I don't remember. So they met Bob is just this like the book keeps describing him as boyish just this boyish person walking through he gets stuck in a riot he gets stuck (laughs) in a riot and so you're just picturing this poor little bob in like a suit or whatever just getting like pushed around by a crowd and terry saw him like getting jostled by the crowd and you know did like an everybody move like moment where he like went and like saved him from the crowd and then they went on like a two-month vacation in canada together yes which is super cute but yeah so so then chapter two goes into the why why bob is now attempting to be a thief this was his first time he tried to steal something too okay this was his first attempt at stealing and you could say it either went horribly wrong or horribly right i know (laughs) but yeah so they're having breakfast so we find out bob was a lawyer and he was in practice with some guy named simon warren Mm -hmm. and they had dirt on the interstate general merchandise. I took a lot of notes on this because I thought it was very important. It's really not. (laughs) But so they had dirt on this big company and the company was like blackmailing them like, don't you dare. Disclose this, yeah. Yeah. And so then the big company framed them and Bob got disbarred and Simon got thrown in jail for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Well, he was sentenced to 10 years. 10 years have not gone by. This happened like a couple months ago. Yeah, I I think that that confused me. Uh, So I've read the first couple chapters of this twice now. Um, And the first time I read it, I I definitely thought a lot more time had gone by in between because I think I misread that like 10 year sentence as oh man so i i had no idea i do they ever say how old bob is because i feel like i was they picturing him as super like not super old but you know like 30s because i thought yeah uh, like those 10 years had gone but i guess it's more possible that he could be 20s <laughs> he could be. maybe that would make me feel better about later things he's definitely younger than terry by he's like boyish. a good bit <laughs> But Terry's like 40. Yeah. But anyway, so Simon, his wife died of grief. She was so upset. And then he died from tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Or a broken heart. It's unclear. Both are possibilities. So Bob just could not get a job because the big company was just mm-hmm. stopping everyone from hiring him. And so he was just like, I just have to become a thief. It's the only option. It's all I can do. It's all I can do. So I, I came to Philadelphia and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do yeah, a crime. Yeah, he was practicing, I forget where he was practicing, like Connecticut or something. Maybe. He's gone, he's traveled quite a bit to get to Philadelphia to mm-hmm. become a thief. So again, his, his first crime did not, did not go the way he thought it would. And, and Terry just laughs at this story. <laughs> He just laughs. He's just like, goodness gracious, what have you gotten yourself into, my friend? <laughs> yeah, and Bob's like, I don't think it's very funny. Mm-hmm. 
But they do, I feel like that's a recurring thing, is that they keep laughing at each other, and the other one's like, that's not they funny. They do. It, it goes back and forth, and it's pretty cute. But yeah, so then after that, uh, after he tells about the, the second thief, the one that gave him the knock on the head, um, and his very likely concussion, that's when Terry's like, hmm, I wonder if it has to do with this mysterious vial that I purchased at an auction. <laughs> yes. Terry bought a vial with the heads of Cerberus on it, and it contains a gr- some gray dust. Mm-hmm. But he didn't care about that. He just was like, these heads are cool. I like the craftsmanship of this vial. Mm-hmm. He really wanted He paid $500 for it, which I calculated is about 11000 now, <laughs> if I did my Google searching correctly. <laughs> okay. But so then a man comes up to him at the auction and tries to buy it from him. He's like, I was late because my chauffeur ran over a man. Yes! His chauffeur ran over a man! (laughs) This is also not important, but it's something that's mentioned. Oh my gosh. But you know, Terry is having none of this. He's made his decision. He's not going to part with it. And he basically tells the dude, like, you're about to join that pedestrian in the hospital or the morgue because like i'm not going to let you take this from me and then when he leaves the guy shakes his fist at terry like oh how dare you (laughs) i'm gonna get you back for this but yeah i I feel like this is probably then it was uh bob's turn to you know think that this story was kind of funny because well it is yeah but then because there's also the the legend of the dust, which is that it was gathered from the rocks at the gates of purgatory by the poet Dante, and <laughs> uh, um, and how many of the owners of the vial have disappeared, uh, never to be seen again. Uh, and so, so what does Bob want? <laughs> Bob is like. This is hilarious, but also let's analyze the dust. And I yes. was like. How are they going to, it's what, like 19... It's 1918. I forget when. 1918? 1918. And they're going to analyze the dust. What does that mean in 1918 to analyze it? Taste it. (laughs) I mean, maybe he... Smoke it. (laughs) Bob is like, we need to get this analyzed. We need to open this up. And Terry is all like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, uh, but, but Bob is like, no, I've got this. And like undoes like the little cement that's like yes. keeping it together. And then they pour it on the ground, like on a, on a cloth or something. And, and yeah, even though, again, Bob is the one who wanted to analyze it, it, it ends up, I guess, Terry feels confident and he's like, okay, yeah, like nothing happened. Like, this is pretty cool. And he goes and he touches the dust and he like swirls it around and then he disappears. Yes. And oh, Bob is freaking out. He's yes. having another panic attack. He's had a good day and a bad day. Just alternating constantly. It's been an intense day. It has been a super intense day for Bob. So then the phone rings. <laughs> and Bob answers the phone. <laughs> I I think it rings for a bit. Uh, yeah. And he's like wondering, like, is Martin gonna pick it up? I think Martin went like shopping. I, yeah, I believe so. <laughs> but so the phone rings and he answers it and, you know, uh, he's talking back and forth with this person and then uh, they ask, like, you hear, you only hear his side of it and he's like, yeah, Terry's here. I mean, no, he's not here. I mean, he stepped out. Um, And then, then he just basically like drops the phone and is just going, oh no, oh no, oh no, and having another anxiety attack. <laughs> And then the doorbell rings. Yes. So we find out that Bob would have made a terrible criminal. We already knew that from his attempted robbery, but that was just confirmed. It would not have been the career for him. But yes, the doorbell rings. Viola runs in. The sister of Terry Trenmore. Mm -hmm. The the 17-year-old sister of... Yes. uh, My note is Viola is 17. Bob is in love with her because Bob sees her. 
And he's like, oh my god, mm-hmm. she's perfect. Yeah, it, it, it breaks him out of his panic attack for a moment of... <laughs> This girl is pretty nice. And again, continuing with his crazy honesty, he just sits down and tells her the entire story. (laughs) But she doesn't believe him. Oh, no. She does not believe him. And so then she, just like her brother, touches the dust and disappears. (laughs) And Bob has another panic attack. But So, okay, yes. Bob becomes so distraught that he's just like... I just might as well end it all by also touching the dust. He's going to commit seppuku, basically. He's like, what have I done? My best friend. And now my best friend's sister. All because I I wanted... Who I love. (laughs) All because I wanted to analyze this dust. So then, yeah, he touches it and he disappears. Uh, But then that's not the end of the chapter. Emma, what happens next? So somebody slips into the house... But nobody's in anymore. Isn't the door open? The door was wide open. (laughs) The door was just wide open. So this dude is just like walking back and forth. They describe him walking back and forth in front of the house for a little bit. And then finally (laughs) he's just like, yeah, I'm going to go in. I mean, the door is wide open. Why wouldn't I go in? And he sees the vial and he takes it. He, He grabs the vial and he touches the dust. Then Martin comes in. And yes. there's just the dust there. And, you know, he, he cleans it up and he's, like, getting ready to do the rest of his chores. But he cleans it up. He, like, packages it up all nice and, like, sticks it on the mantle or something. He doesn't... Yeah, he doesn't just sweep it into yeah, the fireplace. Yeah, he doesn't just, like, throw it away. No, he cleans it up all and, and, like, packages it. So then we come back to Bob. So So Bob wakes up in this field, in this, like wide green field there are some ruins around him um there's this arch with some letters uh he sees the letters ulith and then under it mc and he finds a body of a female in the grass okay so first of all he's like before he finds the body he's just so upset he's like i'm all alone i'm the last man in this world i'm so upset but yeah so he finds the body in the grass and it sounds like the grass has grown over this body yeah but but they can't be because it's just viola i think i think it was just really tall grass and she just happened like i don't know it yeah it just covered her body because of how long it was but bob thinks she's dead oh yeah he's convinced that First, he's convinced that she's dead. Then he's convinced that she's dying. And he's like, we need a stimulant or water to save her. Yes. So he's like, I got to go find it. I got to go find something. Oh, this is also where I wrote down the quote. He loved her suddenly. <laughs> I might What did I mark in this chapter? Mark something. He loved yes. her. Suddenly. He loved her suddenly and joyously. Not because she was the most beautiful creature he had ever seen, but simply because she was human. Again, he's been there for like five minutes and he already has this like last man on earth syndrome. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm all alone. And now she's the only one here. So I must love her. Yet, should he leave her to seek water, the girl might die in his absence. Better he had never found her than that. Oh my gosh. But yeah, then... <laughs> he, like, turns a corner, and Terry's right there. Well, yeah, no, so there there are these ruins, okay? It's, yes. it's, really, it's really super cute. So there are these ruins, and so there's this wall, and he hears, he hears Terry. He hears Terry talking to yeah. himself and basically having the same, like, woe is me speech that uh, Bob is having, where Terry's like, I'm in purgatory, I'm, like... I'm clearly dead. This is all going on. And so then Bob, like, hops up on the wall and is like, Terry! And, like, goes over to Terry and is like, no, like, I'm really here. And Terry's like, mm, I don't think you are. And then he's like, and Viola's here, too. Uh, we need to rescue her. Do you have some whiskey or brandy? But isn't Terry, like... Um, I don't believe you're real. Oh, he doesn't believe he's real at first. Uh, but eventually, yeah, he does convince him. I think especially bringing up Viola. But yeah, so... And then this is my other favorite thing about older books is the quote-unquote medicine. Because again, 
He's like, we need some whiskey or brandy to revive her. And then it yes. does. And then she's yes. fine. Yes. <laughs> Before she was dead, then near death. Now she's fine. All because of some brandy. But now there, there are three heroes are all here. And they can now explore this new strange world where the moon rises in the west. Okay, I need to pause here for a second because when it becomes like when it becomes nighttime, when the sun sets, it's really, really loud. It's a really loud sunset. And this instantly made me think of Welcome to Night Vale, because in Welcome to Night Vale, there's this one, um, the podcast. But anyway, there's this one district in Welcome to Night Vale where the sunsets are so loud that they sound like shrieks and crashes and whatnot. And anyway, that just made me think of Welcome to Night Vale. But yes, though, and during all that, the the castle ruins rebuild themselves. Mm -hmm. And then there are riders on the road in suits of armor on horses. But then they just end up being empty suits of armor. There's nothing inside the armor. It's just empty suits with, like, the visors up riding around. Yeah, so then this this is just the weird chapter. So then, like, these figures start spinning around them. Mm-hmm. And then Bob, like, tries to join in, but Terry pulls him back. Mm-hmm. And I marked with If you're so fond of dancing, said the latter grimly, you might at least choose Viola or me for a partner. Yes. Are you mad, Bobby, to take hands with those? Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, and then they hear this, like, hissing voice that's yes. like, no, don't touch the dancers or go near them or speak to them and beware the weaver and her song. So then they immediately encounter the weaver. <laughs> They immediately (laughs) disregard this advice, and they immediately encounter the Weaver. So the Weaver of the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she she tells them to go forward and deeper. And Viola turns to our boys and is like, have you already forgotten? Have you already forgotten the warning? And then they go through anyway. (laughs) But, But before she says that, Bob says... If the lady would make her advice a little clearer, we might try to follow it. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then he says, we have to go on somewhere, you know, Terry. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Viola's like, but we're not supposed to. We were told, we were given specific advice not to do this. Her advice isn't so great. But yep. yeah, they go through an arch of stone with mist. There's mist in the arch of stone mm-hmm. and they walk through it. And they're in Philadelphia. They're back in Philadelphia. So they get to Philadelphia and they're like, let's take a cab home. But the cab driver is like, you're not wearing buttons. I can't drive you. Also, I got to get the police to arrest you. Yeah, uh, they, they're they looking around and everybody has these like identification buttons on them. And apparently it's a super big deal not to have them. So they get arrested. So, so yeah, things are looking really weird. They're being led through Philadelphia, and they're starting to notice, like, a lot of things that are off, just not quite the way they necessarily remember Philadelphia. They get taken to, uh, like, the magistrate person is what I wrote down in my notes. Yeah, we're just going to call it the courthouse. It might not be that, but basically yeah. they're being taken to a courthouse. They basically get to a courthouse, um, and, of course, Terry being Terry quickly gets fed up and, you know, starts yelling at the magistrates. And then all I have written down is that the cops attack and uh, Bob gets knocked out. That's what I wrote. Yeah, so Terry basically tries to attack everyone. He does a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Bob does not do a good job. He just Bob gets knocked out. <laughs> So then we get introduced to Mr. Mercy, who is someone. Continuing the theme of, just to go back a little bit, continuing the theme of Brandy being the cure for unconsciousness, I believe that is what uh, wakes Bob back up. Yes, I do think you are correct. Yeah, and so then we, we're, we, we've got the judge there now, and... Uh, what I wrote down in my notes is that, like, the judge is annoyed that the the sergeant who, I guess, uh, got, was one of the many people that Terry attacked, he, he was all annoyed that the sergeant hadn't come to this 
impromptu trial that they're having because the sergeant was going to get his wrist set instead because, you know, Terry attacked everybody and injured everybody. Yes. But the judge was like, that's not okay. He should be here dealing with this and then he can deal with his wrist. Apparently they're in City Hall. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so they're they're in City Hall and they have um they have this really crazy trial and you know Bob being the lawyer that he is is really confused. Yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't try too much. He doesn't try too much. I guess there's not not much he can do. No. And uh, but yeah, so they're condemned to the pit of the past while Viola is going to be given to Mr. Mercy. Yes. So Mr. Okay, there are going to be lots of they're called superlatives. So there's Mr. Virtue who was doing the trial mm -hmm. and he like, so Mr. Mercy was like, hey, give the lady to me. Wink, wink. I do think he actually winked. I think so. And Virtue's like, oh, all right. Except I wanted her too. <laughs> like everybody wants her, but Mercy like called dibs. So he gets her. Yeah. But yeah, so the our two boys are going to be, oh, here, you saw the girl first, Mercy. He addressed his silk-hatted associate, so I suppose she's <laughs> yours. You always were a lucky dog. Oh my gosh. So there's a lot of really gross men in this version of Philadelphia that we don't know too much about yet. But yeah, um, our boys are going to be thrown into the pit of the past. And the pit just has a giant monster in it. Yeah, I, I wrote down the pit holds the god of war. Um, <laughs> I think is what they referred to yes. the monster at one point. Yeah, I don't know. This is it gets really funky here. Um, just this big monster in a pit. But yeah, so everybody is ready for all of this to happen. You know, Mister Mister Mercy has Viola. He's all happy, and the boys are about to be pushed into the pit. But then Lovely comes. Loveliest comes. Yes, and um, cleverest. Her and, companion at the moment. And and she decides that instead she thinks they should enter the contest. Um, that they shouldn't yes. just be pushed in. Um, that they should be entered into these contests that they have coming up soon. Yes. Well, because mostly she sees Terry and she's like, wow, you are strong. She is taken with him she is like yes this is the man who can get the things i want done um this is the one who can help me accomplish all of my goals you know i guess i'll rescue bob too yes the thin chap can go in for swiftest so bob will compete for being the swiftest terry the strongest and viola can enter the contest for domestic excellence yeah so she she kind of gets uh viola back from mr mercy uh her her station is a bit above his in the scheme of things here. And Mr. Virtue is just laughing at all this. He says, Mercy, you and Cleverest are down and out. Yeah. <laughs> Take them. Take your charming protégés, lovely, my child, mm -hmm. and shut up the pit. Yes. <laughs> Old War must go hungry tonight. Uh. <laughs> oh, but so... Now we come back a little bit, we find out what happens yes. to our actual thief. To to the thief who came in and grabbed the the vial uh, when he saw the just wide open door. And this is when we meet Arnold Bertram, I believe is his name. And I love him. I love him. I love him so much. He's like this, the way I picture him, you know, he's like that old-timey, like, New York mobster, like, <laughs> just doing his thing. And he, what, he, like, breaks into their hotel room, like, Loveliest brings them back and, like, sets them up in in this hotel room yeah, uh, to wait and uh, basically just to wait until, yeah. Yeah, just you, you'll stay here. 
while before the competitions aren't happening yet you'll stay here i'm gonna take care of you i'm gonna take you shopping yeah and so arnold arnold breaks in and he's been doing a lot of snooping uh he's been learning a lot uh he put his thieving skills to work i mean what he, he got himself a button right Yes, immediately he, like, knocked some guy out, took the button, he even got a newspaper, so he's got lots of information. Yeah, so so he's the one who lets them know that, hey, we're in the future. It is 2118. And he's so cute because he keeps cursing, and by cursing I mean he'll say, like, hell, and then he'll go, beg pardon, lady, to yeah. Viola, and it's so cute. <laughs> And then he keeps doing it, but every time, every time he curses in front of Viola, um, he'll always say, beg pardon, lady. Yeah, so so they tell him what they think about the whole dust of purgatory, like, that's Mm -hmm. the stuff you touched, that's how you got here. But yeah, so now we have all the information that there really is to have. We still want a way to get home, we don't know that yet. And we're still not really sure what these competitions entail. Right. Yeah, they, they don't have a lot of information about that aspect, at least not yet. I believe in the next chapter is when Cleverest comes in, right? Cleverest. Cleverest comes in and explains basically everything. He explains what the contests are and he says that, um, so like the swiftest is, I forget what they're in charge mm-hmm. of, but everybody's in charge of something. So, like, the... Yeah, like, somebody's in charge of, like, the police force. Yeah. Uh, if you pass the swiftest, you will have control of the city messenger service. Most domestic, you don't really... You're, you're superintendent of scrub yeah. women and city um. scavengers. The quickest has command of the mm-hmm. police force. That's important. Above all, under pen service, the loveliest woman rules with a consort who may be at her option either the cleverest or strongest of men. Cleverest is the current uh, betrothed, I guess. So then this is where we start to see, like, okay, there are a couple different camps here. We've got, you know, the loveliest uh, and her camp where she wanted these three people to help kind of consolidate her power um, so that she didn't have to uh, Mm -hmm. be with Cleverest. And then meanwhile, we have Cleverest here who is trying to basically usurp her and uh, be like like take over power himself because she keeps refusing to basically settle down with him. Yes. So he makes a deal with them. He says Viola mm-hmm. could be the loveliest. She could mm-hmm. beat the current lovely and get that title. Because of course Cleverus is also in love with Viola. Of course. I, I, I do want to go back a little and, and talk a little bit about Uh, how they describe loveliest in this chapter. I have some quotations written down Uh that Cleverest says where he goes, but she is like every other woman. Her skill at politics is limited by her own self-esteem and vanity. Um, And then when he's talking about how she's been avoiding to choose a consort, he says it's because she likes her selfish independence and prefers to keep her considerable power to herself. At which point I was like, this is Queen Elizabeth the first, the virgin queen at work. I love her. So then I became queen, like team loveliest all the way i was like she is the one who should be in charge yes yeah so they they decide okay viola's gonna go for loveliest now well so that's the deal they make and so that and cleverest will get to marry her and they won't be thrown in the pit and killed uh but after he leaves they're like let's make another plan where we're not with lovely or cleverest yeah we are with ourselves. Yeah, now they're the ones who are going to overthrow the government and take control of everything. So <laughs> so Bob is going to try for cleverest. Mm-hmm. And Viola is still going to try for loveliest, which means that Viola and Bob can exactly. get together. And then they can be the ones in charge. Yes. Uh, Terry's still going for strongest. And Bertram, they're like, let's get you in on this. You'll go for quickest because it'd be funny because then you'll be in charge of the police force. Mm -hmm. Arnold Bertram is, you know, he's like kind of up for it, kind of not. But I think it would be pretty great. Yeah. And he's like, oh, also, I stole Cleverus's watch. Yes. While he was in the room with us. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I love him so much. (laughs) I love him. 
All right. Um, so then our next chapter is like our world building mm-hmm. chapter where they have a tour of the city. I bo- is this their shopping trip? It is their shopping trip. So one part that I liked was they mentioned uh, they were thinking about their house on Walnut Street. And I was like, oh, this is where I started predicting. And this didn't happen at all. But I was like, what if they have to go back to the house and they find the dust, even yeah. though it's like the future, they find the dust all wrapped up on the mantle like Martin had left for them. I thought that was going to happen too. And I thought I thought they were going to do that and that that's how they would get back. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. No. But yeah, so they go on a shopping trip and they you know, are are talking to Loveliest about all these different things. She's the one who's taking them on this shopping trip. And they're realizing that she really has no concept of, like, the world at all. I mean, she doesn't have any knowledge of history. She doesn't have any knowledge of other places outside of Philadelphia. I mean, her knowledge is very narrow and just where she lives. This is the way it is right now. That's all that matters. Yeah. Even though it's not very good. I mean, but it's good for her, so. Yeah, it, it, it's just really weird. Um, and yeah, they're, they're kind of noticing that that's kind of a th- common theme among everybody is that nobody really seems to have any knowledge outside of this city and what's going on in the world. So they get back from their shopping trip and they go to their hotel and they're like, hey, let's try and get a newspaper. We know newspapers exist. Mm-hmm. So let's like ring the hotel boy mm-hmm. and get a newspaper uh but that gets him into big trouble because apparently that's against the law if you're just some guy numbers numbers, numbers. are not allowed to read newspapers that is something that is only allowed for um the superlatives yes is that that's what they're yeah. called uh, it's, it's only allowed for the superlatives to to be able to read the newspapers. So, which means that Bertram, you know, was able to steal a newspaper from from a superlative. But yeah, they're not able they're not able to get any more information. They're pretty much shut out. And does does Cleverest come and talk to them? Yes, Cleverest. So Cleverest comes in and he's like, what are you guys doing? You tried to get a newspaper. That's t- terrible. And then he tells them about the threat of Penn. So there's this giant red Liberty Bell type thing in the city. Mm-hmm. And he says that when the bell strikes, we die. It is named the threat of Penn. The people believe implicitly that should the serpents become incensed and strike that bell, the city, the people, the very earth itself would dissolve into air like thin smoke. So they're like, okay, that's kind of crazy. But then we get to the next morning, which is the day of the contests. And um, I wrote down that nobody ended up wearing the clothes that Loveliest had bought for them, which I think is kind of sad because, as you all know, I am now Team Loveliest. (laughs) Okay, but your other boy, Bertram, has gone missing. He's gone missing. He is not with them. They all go to the temple place where the contests are going to be. Bobby ends up breaking off from the group for a little bit. Yes. Um, he, he goes off. And, and yeah, uh, Bertram is nowhere to be found. Yeah. So, yes, we got two people missing and they are not there when the competition's finally begin. We've been waiting for this the whole book. Yes, we finally get to the competitions and it starts with a music contest. Oh, it does. Ugh. So Viola and Terry are sitting there and there's like this this young boy there that they're so enamored with. Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh my god, there is beauty in this world still. And mm-hmm. so he's going for what is it? Just like the best singer? What is it? I, yeah, just the best singer. Whatever the music contest relates to uh but he's he's one of the numbers and and also where they have this these contests set up um they have this big crowd of numbers and they're all they all have to like stand still and stay quiet the entire time so so yeah they're all waiting for the contest and they are all like really interested in the music contest yeah, because this is really one of the only contests that are having. Like, nobody's really 
other than um, our three characters, nobody's really, like, challenging for these positions other than right. this guy. So uh, the boy sings, and it's beautiful. It's amazing. He does such a good job. Everybody is so excited. Then the, the current holder of the position sings. And, yeah, I don't think it's as great as... And as the young lads no, it's pretty terrible everybody is everybody should just be bowled over like on the ground in pain from this performance yeah and it wasn't good but then because it's a corrupt society they're all like clearly the current holder of this position is still the winner and i I feel like it was also kind of implied that it was the content of the song that the number sang, that number 57403. I think it's important that we know his name, even though he doesn't have an actual name, but number 57403, I think he sang kind of like a political song almost. Yeah, like a, like, I've, it kind of seemed like an uprising song. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, because he lost, they're going to throw him in the pit. And the numbers revolt. They are like, no, this is not going to happen. So they all push forward. And like, he goes and he's like hiding in, in their, in, in, in their crowd. But then they pull out machine guns. The, the superlatives. Or like their guards. Our boy comes back forward. And he's like, no, 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 stop, everybody stop, it's not worth it. I will die. And he casts himself into the pit he, yeah, of he, the past. Number 57403 gives an amazingly epic speech. And then, yeah, he just dives in. He just dives into the pit. Like the amazing man that he is. I, I fell in love with him as well. Again, I loved so many characters in this book but so that (laughs) scene occurs but then our boy bertram comes back in just in time for the quickest contest and so terry even though he just saw the previous scene that these contests are corrupt he's like go on compete in the contest do it do it you can do it you can do it. He forces Bertram to compete. Bertram just is like, I just saw what happened too. I don't want to do this. But so, okay, so mm-hmm. he does it and he wins. They're, okay, the contest is like, they just are like connected to some sort of machine and it measures yes. their like reflexes. <laughs> yeah. So again, I was expecting so many like hand-to-hand combat one-on-one mm. battles. No. That's not what happened. But yeah, so he, he wins against the old chief of police. But then the superlatives are all like, well, the pit is not working right today. So, yeah. We're just not gonna put him in, I guess. Like, yeah, what? I don't... Yeah, so then, like, a hullabaloo happens. We don't really know what happens, but they're like, oh, Bertram, we're sentencing you to the pit. You committed some crimes, apparently. So you don't mm-hmm. get to be the superlative. I think, didn't, don't we find out later that he stole from one of them yeah, and so, he was like, look what I did. Aren't I clearly the quickest? <laughs> yeah, so his plan was, he was like, I'm going to snatch something off the current quickest and then, like, be like, haha, I stole it to impress all of them but they were just like no you're a thief you're in jail now because the pit's not working anymore mm-hmm. but then bobby comes back he was found he was in the library which is also illegal to go into the library yeah it's it's off limits but he was tricked into going in there he was led in there he was told he could go in there yes by mr oh. mercy who we haven't talked about oh, since mr mercy many chapters <laughs> but he's the one who wanted to marry Viola. I know there are many who wanted to, but he's the original one. Yeah, Mercy was like, I want to make them all look bad, so I'm going to trick mm-hmm. Bobby into the library. So then they're all ready to, like, now Bob's going to be sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. And so then Terry and Viola are like, we'll, we're going to be sentenced to death, too. Mm-hmm. Though this is also kind of the point where they realize that, or at least Terry realizes that it was rude to turn on Loveliest after she rescued them that first time. Yeah. And he's realizing, like, oh, no, we 
I mean, we were rude to her. We abandoned her plan. And now look where we are. We are all captured. Uh, but Cleverest, did you already say Cleverest still wants Viola? I did not, but that's what my notes exactly say. <laughs> yeah. The next chapter is called Their Last Chance. <laughs> it's not the last chapter, though, so... <laughs> it's not the last chapter. But they're all in jail. But, well, so um, the three, our three main characters are led to the jail cell. And we see mm-hmm. Bertram in there with a young lady. Oh my gosh. Another favorite character of mine. I love her so much. Um, she's 23,000. But because that ain't no name for a lady, as Bertram says, he decided to call her Miss Skidoo instead. I... And uh, <laughs> she talks just like him. I mean, she's got that, you know, like... New York gangster like thing going on too and it's super cute and that yeah Miss Skidoo wants to I wrote sit on the floor and fight this thing outright she is ah I love her so much and also Bertram went to a movie (laughs) yeah that's we find out during the time he was missing he just like was wandering the streets found this girl took her to the movies (laughs) Like, he had a grand old time. I mean, <laughs> he, he had a lovely time until he came back to the contests. I want to, where, where's the description of her outfit? It's amazing. Okay, so here's the picture of Miss Skidoo. Her costume emulated the rainbow for color. Her large hat was bright green lined with pink. She wore an old rose silk sweater over a soiled lace blouse and crumpled blue linen skirt. Her hosiery was gold and yellow and her down-at-heel pumps had once been very elegant green buckskins. So she's just this rainbow lady. Mm-hmm. New character at the, in the last 40 pages of the book. Oh, but I love her so much. She is adorable. Uh, and yeah, we really have kind of like a meeting of the minds where, you know, Bob is able to share a lot of the stuff that he learned. Yeah. So, so yeah, he learned that, you know, there were, there were some world wars, um, that communism had its way of Europe and that the U S just stopped communicating with all of the countries. Yeah. Um, and the, and then that like each state just became its own thing. Yeah. Uh, there's also, so Terry is not too happy. Uh, like you were saying before, he says, you led me to forget my honor, sir, and conspire against a woman. I'm not blaming you so much as myself, but t'was a dirty deal, and well, you know it. Well, he's talking to Cleverest there. Yeah, he is He is not okay. He His moral compass is going back to the right side, and he's just, he's not happy with what he has done. Yeah, Cleverest comes in. I guess this is, he's like, he still wants Viola. He's still, like, trying to broker kind of a deal. But the mm. deal's basically going to get them all killed, except for Viola. Yeah. Yeah, so so Terry, like, attacks Cleverus. It doesn't really help, because there's lots of guards. Um, and they're just waiting for tomorrow morning. So then, it was 7, it's 7 p.m. They thought they were going to get killed in the morning. But they're moving up the execution. It's happening now. They thought they were going to get a last supper, but no. They're being led to the end. The next chapter, they're about to be led to their execution and so then viola and bobby declare their love for each other oh they're so in love you are my world bobby drayton if death was needed to show us this love then death can never rob us of it but what does bertram say oh my gosh it's the sweetest thing skidoo i guess our numbers are up I meant right by you, kid, and I'm darned sorry. It ain't your fault. I guess I got a right to die with a good straight guy like you. They're so cute. <laughs> Theirs is the best love story. They've actually gone on a date. Didn't Bertram, like, meet her family? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> on, on his day off, he met her family and, like, talked to her father. And But, but so the pol- chief of uh, police says his supremacy might be willing to wait if he knew how much sad romance is going on here. My own time is valuable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, hurry up, guys. But so Terry, 
Our big boy, our big man, strongest mm-hmm. there is. Strongest man. He does something. <laughs> yeah. He gets the chief of police and gets his gun. And he's mm-hmm. threatening the chief of police. And he says, shoot now and be damned to you, you scum of the earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then the guards are just like, oh, we don't know what to do. We're, we've never had to do things like this before. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, th- and then it just starts this whole like sequence of... Terry, like, running around and pushing guards over and, like, trying to to grab the sword and, yeah, and get to the bell. Yeah, we haven't talked about how there's... So the threat of Penn is actually that there's a sword hanging ready to, like, strike the bell if you, like, cut it down or mm-hmm. something. The bell that supposedly went wrong will destroy the entire world. And so, yeah, it just starts this whole thing where he's, like, off, like... The police are shooting at him. He's running up the stairs. He's, like, on the balcony. He's, like, throwing them down the stairs. I think he throws the police chief down the stairs at one point. And he gets, like, locked into this room that's, like, in the tower. And then I guess, like, there is scaffolding to the uh, bell. And he gets out on the scaffolding. And, And meanwhile, we've got, like... Viola and and Bob and Bertram and Skidoo, they're all like down in like yeah. the courtyard. Yeah. Just watching. Just like watching this. With, I mean, along with like the police, I guess. No, but, but yeah, like the rest of the superlatives kind of start gathering like, mm-hmm. hey, what are you doing? You got the sword and you're threatening to strike the bell. Please don't do that. But yeah, yeah, he keeps threatening. He he gets out to the scaffold. He's, you know, he's getting the sword and he's threatening to do this. Now, I don't think we've mentioned Mr. Justice Supreme. Yeah, we have not. He was the one overseeing the competitions. He was like yeah, the judge the of all Yeah, he's the one who's overseeing everything. Was he related to He's related Cleverest? to Cleverest. He is Cleverest's yeah. uncle. So Cleverest is like in line to inherit that position. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so all of this is going on and we've got the Mr. Justice Supreme like up on like the stage or whatever. And then he just dies. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> He just dies. He just slumps over dead. Yes, he's like, don't strike the bell, don't strike the bell. Ah! Yeah, yeah. He Like, everybody is yelling, don't do that, don't do that. And then next thing we know, the the Justice Supreme just falls over dead. But yeah, at, at which point, Terry strikes the bell. Yes. And and yeah, the the vibrations are destroying everybody and everything. Yes. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Sorry. So these chapters are like there's so many chapters between the breakout and the end of the book. There's their last chance, the sword and the bell. Trend more strikes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay, yes. Terry finally strikes the bell, but they're suddenly in some new location. And Terry is just like still in like fight mode and he just like starts fighting someone. <laughs> Mm. And so, so then, but then Bob and Viola are there and they're like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. It's, it's a cop. We're back in our time. They're back in their time. And Miss Skidoo is with them too. Yes. Uh, I was so happy about that. I was so happy. So then they, they make it back to Terry's cousin's house. Yes. And then the guy, that that original guy who tried to get Terry to sell back the vial is there. Yes. He shows up and I think he starts explaining things. We forgot to mention when Bob was in the archives, there was this one person that he kept seeing in like the history books. Yes. And Andrew Power so so Andrew Power and how um, he was like the reason why isolationism was yes the trend yes. of the time. Yeah, he was he was what led to all of this. And so now we've got this guy who shows up. Yes, Phineas Scarborough. Thank you. Okay, he knows Andrew Power in this universe, except he is one of the many people who who took the powder and never came back. Phineas was roommates with this guy named Thaddeus Crane. So Thaddeus and Phineas, 
are roommates in college and they meet this guy named Andrew Power, who is like this great theorist. He's got all these crazy ideas. Power believed it possible to reduce, to reduce psychic experiences to a material basis. But Andrew Power, whom we secretly considered a mad theorist, proved, proved himself far more practical than Crane and I, who merely talked. The faculty objected to experiments along any line, not in the regular curriculum. Power, however, had set up for himself a small private laboratory. So yeah, Power creates this gray powder, which when taken into the system of a living creature, this substance so altered the vibrations of the electrons, he called them atomic corpuscles. <laughs> but electrons is the modern term of not only the body, but of any other matter within the immediate radius of its magnetism. And so they would, these vibrations were modified to function on an entirely different plane from this with which we are familiar from birth. And so, yeah, I thought that was really interesting when they brought back in the vibrations, because again, it was the vibrations of the bell that like set them right and set them back into their actual universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, so power goes missing and they're looking for the formula for the gray dust, Phineas and Thaddeus. Um, so they, so then Thaddeus and Phineas come across some of the powder and that, and Phineas is like, don't destroy it. Like we need this in case Andrew Power comes back because he disappeared. He might need this. So they divided the powder between them. And so now mm. Crane died. It was his estate that was being auctioned off. And he was like, I want the rest of the powder because I'm the only one who knows what to do with it. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. Ah. Uh. But yeah, un- unfortunately, before before that whole conversation happened, so they find Phineas and they talk about the, the vial and the dust because, again, the dust has been collected into like a nice little packet by Martin. And they're like, well, where's the, the vial? And um, Skidoo, Miss Skidoo is like, oh, I have it because Bertram gifted it to her. Yes. Because of course he would. She hands it over and then she immediately disappears and my heart broke. (laughs) It was very upsetting. It was so so sad. Bertram goes off. He doesn't even listen to all this explanation. But yeah, um, Phineas does explain. He's like, that was like, she's not real. She was never real. But she had that vial was something from Mm -hmm. the real world that was anchoring her here. Yeah, because she was holding on to that. She was able to stay here. But as as soon as she let it go, she was gone. And what Phineas also reveals is that the world that you're transported to is sort of shaped by your views of society. Mm. And so they're all like, how dare you say that we have such pessimistic views of the world of, like, corrupt society. Although everybody's, like, kind of hot under the collar, like, oh, like, Bob's like, oh, it's because of my recent experiences with Mm -hmm. being framed. And so they're all saying that. And meanwhile, like, Phineas, like, slips out with the powder. (laughs) Yeah, he, he gets out with the powder. Bertram so upset about Miss Skidoo. He had been thinking of going straight yes. and just being with her, but then, no, he... So he stole from, from Terry and and went off, because he... Yeah, he leaves a note. He couldn't go straight no more. Yeah. Uh, he, sa- he says, what's the use? And then they all realize, wait a minute, it's Bertram who shaped the world we were in, not us! <laughs> Oh, Bertram. And so that's basically the end of our story. Viola and Bobby are betrothed, basically. Yeah, they're together now. And Terry's like, let's go off and clear your name, Bobby. Yep, that's it. We didn't mention this at the beginning when we were introducing Viola, but when Terry was talking about her, like the very first mention of her, like, yeah, my sister, you know, the one who used to be at the nunnery? (laughs) (laughs) I forgot. And that doesn't have anything to do with anything, but it was a really fun detail that I just wanted us to remember (laughs) as we close out this story. (laughs) Okay, Hannah, so any final thoughts on this book? You loved a lot of it. I, uh, I loved so much of it. I think, again, I mean, if you want a story with just adorable character interactions and just 
sweet friendships. I mean, you've got it with this story. I, I think it's a really fun story. I think it's really interesting. The world that is created it can be a bit convoluted and a bit weird. Um, the supportive system is kind of confusing, but ultimately I thought it was a really fun read and I would recommend it. Yeah, uh, like I was saying before, it's pretty good. You know, it wasn't the Hunger Games like I wanted it to be, but it was okay. But Hannah, do you have any recommended books? I do. I have one recommended book, so I honestly don't know why The Heads of Cerberus made me think of this book, but the book I'm going to recommend is Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. For some reason, or right around like chapter four or five, when they uh, step into like the purgatory-like in-between worlds, it just made me really think of Neverwhere. I, I don't know why, but... It just made me think of that. Uh, so Neverwhere is uh, the story of this dude named Richard Mayhew, uh, who is just living like an ordinary life um, until he stops to help a girl he finds injured on a London sidewalk. Um, and so from there, he he meets and becomes uh, one of these people who falls through the cracks and goes on these adventures with this girl named Dor. And... Again, it's another story that I think has some pretty cute uh, character interactions and friendships. So I would recommend Neverwhere. All right. I have two recommendations, kind of. So nice. I have one. This is from my, my anthology of science fiction of the 30s. Oh, stories. fun. So uh, it's not the same time period because this was 1919. And this is 1930s, but I have, if you want more old science fiction, I have The Fifth Dimension Catapult by Murray Leinster. Um, it's like a gangster story, but it's science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're like fighting gangsters at one point. I don't know. Interesting. And then this has nothing to do with it, but I don't know, maybe because this book reminded me of you. It reminded me of The Wolf Leader by Alexander Dumas, Hannah's favorite story. <laughs> Such a good book. I think just because, like, just, you know, characters instantly turning to life of crime, just the dramatics of it all, and then mm -hmm. just also being just, I don't know, just so much, like, I don't know how to explain it, but I guess coincidence and happenstance and... Mm -hmm. It's one of those stories where, I mean, the events start rolling and then they just keep rolling, very similar to uh, the Heads of Cerberus, where, like, once we got started, I just went, like, boom, 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 from point to point to point. Just over nice. overly dramatic people, I guess that's the... <laughs> overly dramatic people. That is all Dumas does. <laughs> so read more Dumas. Yeah, the intro of that book where he's like... I went on a hunting trip and I had to leave my mom and I started crying. Mm-hmm. Ah, <laughs> oh, so good. All right. Thank you for joining in on our discussion. Until next time, don't forget to treat yourself.